In our most recent book, Digital Hesitation, we wrote a chapter titled Customer Success at Scale. In that chapter, we argue that customer success organizations remain a financial art project for many technology providers. CS can be hard and expensive to scale. Today, we will be visited by Carlos Granda, a seasoned customer success executive who has mastered the ability to scale CS. I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. So let's get this insight engine humming. Carlos, welcome to Tectonic. Before uh, you say anything, I need to rattle off some of your impressive customer success pedigree here. So first of all, you've, you've been in services and post-sales functions for almost 30 years. You have worked in large enterprise companies like Salesforce, SAP. Uh, you built the customer success organizations from scratch at Google Cloud. You've also been nominated for the HITEC 50 2022, and that recognizes the top 50 most influential Hispanic leaders in tech. So congratulations on that nomination. And before we get rolling here, tell us a little bit about your, your current responsibilities at Ring Central. Uh, yes. Well, hello, Thomas. It's good to see you again. And thanks for inviting me here to the podcast and hopefully share some some wisdom um, around customer success, which we all are very passionate about. So I joined uh, Ring Central back in September of 2022 after leaving my, uh, my three-year tenure there at Google Cloud. My responsibility within customer success has about three or four different sort of pillars. One of them is our customer success team, which is basically the team that covers our accounts, across all the different segments. And we'll talk a little bit about sort of the high touch and the scale model that we have. I also own our renewals team. So that's a big portion that some customer success organizations own them. Sometimes they don't. In this particular case, we do. Um, And that is a, a very important piece of our business as we grow forward. I have a third team, which is we, we call it our customer retention team. So this is when we have a SWAT team that actually works uh, with our customers when they're a potentially a risk of either churning or downselling, reducing their spend with us is our accounting gets engaged to try to figure out how we help them, right? Sometimes it's enablement, sometimes maybe a product, sometimes maybe other external factors, uh, macroeconomic conditions. And so we collaborate and work closely with them to figure that out. And the fourth one is around sort of what we call the customer journey. Um, it is something that is more of a company-wide effort to drive um, how do we think about our customers and having a customer mindset and a customer centricity would focus around onboarding. And so we're building an entire onboarding team so we can help our customers, you know, have a great experience from the first 30 seconds when they become a Ring Central customer to sort of where we define our onboarding as the first 90 days. So those are the four key areas that I own today as part of our customer success function here at Ring Central. So I'm most curious on the account team capability. Those are resources that are directly in your customer success organization. That is correct. Yeah, you don't see very often. So we're, we're definitely going to be clicking into that. And, you know, I want to open up here because Stephen Fulkerson, who leads our research in customer success, and, you know, Stephen Well, he recommended you for Tectonic because of your experience at scaling customer success at Google Cloud. So let's open up with that story. Tell us, tell us about that journey. Yeah, and it's actually not just at Google Cloud. I think in any any time that you're in a function like customer success, where 
um, we're able to demonstrate the value of how we help an organization and how our customers. Uh, I mean, everybody talks about how it's easier to grow and expand your base versus getting net new customers. So that that's not a that's not shocking to anybody. And so when you're thinking about growing a customers, especially as these companies in technology like Google, like Salesforce, SAP, and even now Ring Central, we're trying to grow. You cannot just align it to headcount. You can't just say that as our base grows, we need to grow the same amount in people because there is a cost associate, right? We are not a non-profit organization. We are a profit organization. We need to be realistic about that. But that means that we have to figure out a way to be scrappy and be a way to scale with the business, but at the same time, do it in a smart way, not just for the sake of growing. Uh, and maybe after doing it for so long, to me, it's about how do I drive efficiency and a scalability in an operational model that actually gives me the opportunity to grow with the business as the business grows and not be dependent on like, I need to hire 30 more people. I need to hire 50 more people. We, you just can't do that. It's not a scalable, it's not a smart financial model. Um, and so that is the big, the big piece of it is that it, at Google or anybody is you got to build the concept of a high touch in a scale model, mm-hmm. focus the human touch to the largest, most complex customers, because they do require, believe it or not, more handholding than sometimes a smaller customer does. Yeah. And then the smaller customers, how do you scale? I, I call it sort of customer success as a service. How do you create a model that you allow our customers to get onboarded, to actually have that great experience through technology, through either leveraging AI, we're leveraging technology, scalability, um, even the concept of a wizard, right? How do we actually help our customers and measure them as they're, they're going step by step sort of in that onboarding journey? Um, so that's how I think about uh, scaling the model. You know, so I, I understand from Stephen that, that there was this dynamic where you were given at, at Google the the permission to go hire like a like a thousand CSMs, and and you said no 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 I I don't want to do that. So what was <laughs> so what was your rationale there? Well, first of all, I, I think there's there's two pieces. You know, one of them is even if I wanted to, we kind of ran into the pandemic. So yeah yeah, um, I started I started uh, at Google Cloud back in two thousand and. 19 so about six months into it and so the 80 percent of the people that we had hired we had hired them into um sort of in the pandemic but it was something where we're like we need to grow we need to scale google cloud was um they they sell customer success as a really important function like most technology companies they actually see it as a very valuable uh, thing but at the same time when you start thinking about the caliber of people you have right and that's not just a google cloud thing it's just for all companies you know, you're, you're trying to hire these unicorns because they have to have right customer mindset. They got to have great coordination and program management. They have to be great at triaging different functions in an organization, good communication skills, be technical enough to deliver. So like you end up looking for like this unicorn, right? And that's such a, that's why customer success is such a awesome um, profession today for young people as well as anybody's progressing because you get to experience so many different things to try to take care of your customer. And so when you're trying to scale, trying to find that sort of skill set, that persona, that mindset becomes very difficult. 
And so the moment you start getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you hire more and more and more people, what happens is then, then the caliber, the quality of people begins to, you know, you start running out of basically people that are out there available because they all have, if they're good, they all have jobs working somewhere. And so I've always used this concept of that, like, I want to be the Navy SEALs, not the Navy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I do want to bring the best of the best when it comes to taking care of our customers at the higher end and leveraging that. But then second is then how do we then we leverage technology to ensure that we can drive somewhat of the same experience for our customers, right? Our customers just want to be listened to, right? They just want to be able to have a connection to the company, to the technology company, right? They don't want to just be treated as a row in a spreadsheet. They want to be treated as customers. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was the concept Then we were at Google Cloud and other companies as well is that, yes, everybody's like, grow, 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 hire, hire, hire. And I'm like, but I don't want, I don't want to hire for the sake of hiring. I want to build a coverage model that gives me a high-touch high model, which then allows me to set expectations around delivery, you know, how often do you do a QBR with your customers versus when you're in a smaller uh, organization, kind of in the SMB space, where they may not have time to meet with you once a quarter, once a month, once a week. So they want a different type of experience. So, so how do you align those two things to the needs of our customers and leverage technology out there to give them sort of that, uh, that empowerment? So it's this constant learning um, that customers has, gives us the ability to scale. Yeah, I mean, it's a good setup for the things that I really want to click in with you because, you know, we strongly believe, again, number one, that there are lots of companies that are struggling to scale customer success. Number two, you know, you don't just automatically solve that with labor, right? With just having open recs and hiring more people and throwing them at the problem. It's, it's really not the winning equation. And in, in the last book, Digital Hesitation, we argued that there are at least four levers that companies need to pull if they really want to scale CS cost effectively. And actually the first lever involves monetizing some of the CS activities. And it's interesting right now, we have an industry survey in play. Anybody listening, you get to take advantage of it. It's gonna be open for, for, for a couple more weeks. And we're asking this question of companies, you know, do you currently monetize any of your customer success activities? And it's interesting, it's 50-50 right now. About 50% of the respondents are saying, yes, we do. 50% are saying, no, we don't. But I can also tell you from spending time with uh, smaller SaaS companies, you know, still not public, et cetera, the vast majority of those folks are just saying, oh, there's no way we can monetize this. It's just, it's impossible. You know, our customers won't pay for it. So they're way skewed to the, you know, no, we don't monetize. So I'm curious, what is your philosophy regarding monetizing some of the CS motion? Oh my goodness. It is such the, and as you said it, right, it's 50-50. It is probably the most controversial topic. Um, and the reason why is that unfortunately for me, I'm, because I've experienced some of these different companies and been around for a while, that I actually can make an argument for both. Okay. Right? So it, it, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. I think there's pros when you monetize it because it becomes it's paid for itself, right? Self-funded. So it's, it's an easy thing, right? It includes... Um, additional recurring revenue for a company. So from that perspective, it's a win-win. But the problem that you run into on the downside of that is that if you ever get to a point where now you're driving revenue, now you're driving margin to the company, now you start looking at measurements of utilization. Now you're looking at like, you know, are people, you know, how long does it take to hire a person and get them billable? And and, and suddenly next year, you're like, okay, you got to grow 20% against that CSM. Well, guess what? None of the stuff matters to our customers. Right. So suddenly you lose focus around really 
why we exist, which is drive customer empathy, drive business outcomes to our customers, having our customers sort of be, the, the, so for us to deliver on our promise, suddenly it becomes like, shoot, I got to manage utilization. I got to manage this. I gotta, and so it, it flips it around. So there's the positive because it helps you self-funded. I don't have to go and justify every time I need to grow to hire 10 more people in Europe or in Latin America. It's a very easy thing to do, but that's the, that's the, the both the pros and cons of monetizing. And on the other side of it, you know, for a big company like an Amazon or a Microsoft or a Google Cloud, where the contracts are big, you know, they're 20 million, 100 million, whatever the size of the total contract value of it is. If we see the benefit of having a CSM in that account, mm-hmm. doesn't make sense for me to go and say, you need to pay another $500,000 for a CSM or, or you just can't have it when you just sign a $100 million deal with us. It just doesn't make any it's almost like it, it hurts me more than it hurts my customer to not have a CSM in there. So it is the, 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 the model of the value add that our customers that get from us, to get somebody who's going to take care of them and, and really build a success plan, not just an account plan, but a success plan as they go through the journey. So I can make argument for both. Yeah. Um, I think the caveats that we got to think about it is, it is what is the outcome you're expected of on a CSM? What is the technology that you're using, you know, versus not? Um, because I think that kind of determines whether or not you do need a CSM. Because you also need a CSM that does the account management, but you may have a product that is extremely technical, like at Google Cloud, where you had a lot of infrastructure, storage, networking, security. You can't just have a CSM that plays the account manager. They need to be deep technical. And so there, there's, there's, um, it's hard to pick one side and make an argument on both. So, so uh, yeah, and I onboard everything that you're you're saying there. I mean, it's not a complete no-brainer, right? And you have to think about it. Did you um did you overlap with Jody Paxton at Google Cloud? Were you familiar with Jody? Yeah, okay. Yeah, of course. That's what, that's what I thought. So, so Jody um is ex TSI researcher, and I have had her on this podcast, and you know I ask her this question of when does Google Cloud decide to monetize or, or not monetize, right? And she had a fantastic answer, which I've repurposed in this podcast many times. And, you know, she called it the, the service monetization threshold. And basically she said, if, if it's really what you just articulated, if we are, are putting CS in play and there's really way more benefit for us, you know, this big multi-million dollar customer, we want to make sure they're consuming, right? But we want to make sure they grow. We're not going to then turn around and try to nickel and dime them for a CSM. So there, there's more benefit for us. But if you cross the threshold where the benefit is really now weighted on the customer side, you know, I think about like Salesforce and their outcome accelerators, right? If they're saying, hey, there's things we can do to help you get to a business outcome faster. If you'd like us to help you in that motion, you you know, we can, but that's a premium activity and we're going to monetize for that. And I think that that is good guidance for everybody, you know, listening and pushing on that threshold because I, what I don't onboard is when companies literally just sort of shrug their shoulders and say, there's just, there's no way you can monetize anything. It's just slowing us down. And we're just going to keep throwing, you know, cycle after cycle, value after, you know, value at the customer, and not really having some some discipline around that. So I think that you know that's where I come come down on it. But it's fascinating because the industry is definitely, you know, and it, it, probably because it is a big, it depends of why we see the fifty fifty. But but let's let's go on to to some of these uh, other uh, levers that we pull, and you've already put this on the table, but but we have to go there, which is that the second lever we promote. Uh, for for to be able to scale CS 
is you do have CS own some of the commercials. You know, it could be you know smaller, mid-sized renewals. It could be all renewals. Maybe in your case, maybe have some smaller expansion opportunities that are just taken down by the CS organization. Um, but I also can tell you, I know I've I've spoken to many CS executives who are completely adamant that that is a terrible idea, right? That you never want to mess up the you know the trusted advisor relationship by having CS own commercials. So so what is your your experience on this one? Yeah, so I think on that one, um, I agree, but I also want to clarify a couple of things. I think yep. people think of customer success equals CSM, and that's not what it means. In my opinion, customer success means really kind of the overarching set of the top of the pyramid across all of customer experience. So what I do agree is that the CSMs should now carry a renewals quota. Mm-hmm. But does renewal sit within customer success as an umbrella? Absolutely. I think that's really important. I think the biggest mindset that we're trying to change it here at Ring Central and, and pretty much all companies that I've been to is that sometimes renewals is looked as a task, is looked as a milestone that we have to hit, rather than looking at it as a compelling event. And those are two different mindsets, right? So, you know, it, Thomas, if you're a customer of mine and I don't talk to you for 12 months at all. But then I call you on month 11th with 20 days left in the quarter. And I go, hey, Thomas, would you like to renew with me and sign up for another million dollars with me? Mm-hmm. First, you'll say, who are you again? I haven't talked to you in forever. And by the way, I don't even use your product anymore. I left you six months ago and I'm actually working with someone else. So to me, renewal sometimes, if you look at it just as a activity, a milestone that I just got to check them off because oh, I got Thomas's company, I got to go renew that becomes, I think, a false sense that you're protecting your base, you're protecting your revenue. So I do think that it is a true partnership between the CSMs and our renewals team. The CSM should not carry our renewals quota. They should be thinking about more like net retention, you know, the growth of their account. And renewals become sort of an add-on value that our CSMs bring in. So when we have a conversation about renewals, the customer's like, well, absolutely, I cannot live without you. I want to sit with another three years. They only focus on negotiating maybe better price or whatever other terms that they want in the renewals, but it's not a should they or they should, should they not. And so I think that to me is the biggest thing. I think when it sits in other parts of the organization, I've seen it when it sits with sales or sits with other parts of the organization, then it's truly used as a, we got to drive quota. We got to close, 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 close. And I go, I actually think that renewals can be used as a great way to expand an account to drive value in an account. And it just becomes a compelling event, not so much a thing. So that's the reason uh, having it part of our organization has been very, very good. Um, I've seen it in other parts where it sits in other places and you see a complete disconnect between them. And, and actually the renewal rates are not as high as when they're aligned with, with customer success. Yeah, we have a, a lot of good data that supports what you just said, which is when you when you have renewals tightly coupled within the service or CS motions, your renewal rates can be better. It also frees up sa- cycles for sales to focus on net new. And so your overall subscription numbers seem to, will grow faster when you do this. But I'll put on the table here, you know, there's all four models in place in the industry in terms of this question of who owns the renewals, right? What do we see? There are salespeople, right? The actual account executive that can still own the renewal. That's one model. You can see a renewal specialist, but they're part of sales, like you're describing. It's separate. 
You can then see renewal specialists within the big you know, C customer success organization, which is your model. And then you can also see where CSMs will own renewals, right? Depending, and so all that, every one of those is in place in the industry. You know, where, where we come down on it is if you kind of split that between should it be in sales or in the CS organization, we're seeing better results when it is in the CS organization for all the reasons you are you articulated. And then within CS, should it be a renewal specialist? Should it be a CSM? You know, we come down on that, that it is this sort of, it depends, just like your monetization, it depends. It depends on the complexity of the renewals. It depends on, but, you know, the worst model I see if, if it is in CS is what you just described. If you have somebody and you give them the title CSM, but all they really are is a renewal specialist and they call, like you say, 30 days before the renewal and say, hey, I'm your CSM. Um, by the way, would you like to renewal? That's not a CSM. That's just, that's strictly a renewal specialist. And and so you got to get your head sorted straight on that when you're, when you're doing this. But it, it I mean, the, again, the taboo of the CS organization should not have commercials in any way, shape, or form. I mean, we don't we don't buy into that. I, I think that this next level. And one more point, one yeah, more point that, that I think it'd be it's important to do. One of the things we're trying to do right now is we actually part of our playbook for our CSMs is we want to have them start looking about three to four months ahead of the renewal. Yep. Actually, creating specific actions and tasks that are happening. So by the time that we get to the renewal, it's more of a it happened. Let's go versus calling them at the last hour. So we are incorporating the motion, the playbooks, um, kind of how their interactions are with the sales team and, and even the customers, but they're not worried in carrying the quota. Like it's, they still need to focus on our customers. Yeah. Well, you used the phrase, you know, that the renewal is a compelling event. And I agree with that because it is a good, it's a compelling event with the customer. It might be a chance to expand. It might be a chance to, you know, do other things. Um, but it's, you know, our feeling is it shouldn't be a, a sales event. In other words, you shouldn't feel like you are selling, selling, selling in those last 30 days. It's what you said. You back it up and it's a process that you're running through. So by the time you get there, right, it's not like, oh, I have to resell the customer at this point. That that ground has long been covered. You're very confident that you're not reselling. So it, it is different. And again, that's why, you know, again, sales, that's not their specialty. Sales folks are very, very good at, at navigating sales events, not, you know, not the, not the ongoing process. So, so let's go to this next lever, which again, if you're going to scale CS cost effectively, um, there's something that we talk about, it's called the sales dividend. And and that is the reality by having a strong uh, CS organization, a strong CSM capability um, that owns some of the commercials, you can slow down the rate of hiring of sales Right. So if you're trying to grow top line, grow top line, we want to, you know, be a rule 40 company, whatever. Usually you're throwing a lot of sales headcount at that. And, and it can't be a model where you're like, I hire sales, I hire CSMs, I hire sales, I hire. I'm just stacking everybody on. You start to look for that dividend. And I'm, and I'm curious what your perspective is on on that thought. Yeah, it's um, like I said, I think it's it, maybe a little bit too early on our ring central journey as we go through this bit from other companies. But I think the. The best way to do it is number one is it's hard to align to a sales coverage model or a sales mathematical formula, right? Where you're like, I need to drive a hundred million dollars of pipeline. I need to convert, uh, you know, 3.5 or 35% of the pipeline into sales. And that equates so many reps. Like it's just, that's one model, but that's a sales model. I think on our side of it, it's a little bit different. So um, what we're trying to do is we try to, like what we've done in the past, is build a segmentation and a coverage model that gives both consistency, sort of the tenants that we want, consistency to our customers. So whether that customer moves up and down a segment, 
it doesn't matter. They're still being taken care of by my team. Yep. It can be like, well, I don't cover it anymore. I'm not, I only cover strategic accounts or enterprise accounts. So I'm going to transfer you to someone else. I'm like that, that's, that's not a great experience for our customers. And so I think it starts with having the right coverage, the right segmentation model, and how do we actually align for sales, right? So we do need to align sales, but it doesn't need to be exactly the same. As long as you're providing the same coverage around the cohorts or the different sort of run rates. And so I don't buy into the, you know, if you hire 20 salespeople, then we need to hire one CSM. That may work for sales and pre-sales because they're, you know, collaborative sort of Batman and Robin sort of uh, mindset <laughs> of uh, that sales cycle. Yeah. But for us, it's a little bit different. I, I wouldn't look at it that way at all. Um, and I think uh, at least here at Ring Central, I've been very impressed with the way I think they're thinking about it, right? They are being very mindful around, okay, how are we going to get to our end state for whatever that is? And we back our way into, to what is our growth that's going to come from new customers? What is, what's actually going to come from our base, right? It's like, so a lot of customer, a lot of companies talk about it, but we actually are kind of really implementing this sort of mindset around what is the right thing for our customers? Where are we going to grow? Uh, Cause I think at the end of the day, our customers is the most important currency. It doesn't matter how great of a campaign or marketing campaigns you have. It's, is how do you take care of your customers? And so I think that's kind of how we're thinking about it is what is the right segmentation? What's the right coverage model? What customers need what they need? You know, some of them don't even want to talk to anybody on the phone. They just want them to be sent to some website so they can take care of themselves. I mean, so we're, we're trying to find what's the right maturity of our customers. What's the right interactions that they want to have with us. And then us providing them those kinds of services. Well, I mean, you said uh, several really important things there that, I, that I want to play back. And, and so one of them is, sort of a simple mathematical model that has a ratio of sales hires or headcount to CSM headcount is, is probably not a winning formula for anybody. I mean, you've got to be more sophisticated than that. Um, secondly, this fact that the models you use to figure out your resourcing for sales and, and sales, ideally, you know, new logos, <laughs> net new, you know, revenue coming in versus the, the, the modeling you're using to take down the renewal revenue is very different. Mm -hmm. It's very different. And the more sophisticated you are on that, right? And saying, okay, for my, you know, like you said, for my, if I want to get, you know, $10 million more in net new logos, I need this many salespeople and this, you know, with this kind of quota, that's one model, you know, but, but for my recurring, I'm doing different math here. That's not mm -hmm. how I'm segmenting it. And, 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 and again, that's why we see there's such a big benefit for this division of divide and conquer this division of labor and getting optimized to forecast and drive the new versus optimized to take down the renewal because those are just different types of revenue streams. There's different motions. Absolutely. There's different, there's different motions. And I think to your point is that you can create a mathematical on the sales side of it, like a pipeline conversion rate yield and gives this many reps spits out a result, right? Yep. For us, it's different. You know, we're looking at use cases. We're looking at our product maturity, our product adoption. We're looking at personas, right? Are we, you know, are we looking with administrator or technical people or are we looking at business people? Um, you know, is the, the, the buyer and the decision makers of driving the product, is that different than it was a year ago? So, we're really looking at it from a sales and a growth maturity use case perspective, outcomes perspective than sales is. And I think you're right. It's like that partnership is what creates a secret sauce. It's like a good sales leadership and a good sort of customer experience leadership working together. It's what's make these companies successful. That's, that's always been my theory. And that's the reason I, uh, I've learned to partner really closely with sales because I need them as much as they need me. So there isn't a one versus the other. It's like, it's, it's not one or the other, it's one and the other. It's just understanding, it's just understanding our roles, right? Yep. 
Yeah, and I and I do think uh, I see a lot more companies getting better at that true collaboration between sales and CS. I think for you know in the history of tech, it's still a relatively young coupling, right? And there's still a lot of companies that are trying to. Oh, I now have the CS thing. I you know I might have been around for you know 20 years as a tech company. Now I have the CS thing. What does it mean to sales? What is that relationship supposed to be? But I think companies are are getting you know much better at that, which is, you know, I, I think, you know, you know, definitely encouraging. And customers are being more sophisticated. Customers are actually now in the process. They'll come in. This is great. You are my commercial person. Who is my success person? Who's going to come in and be here after I close this deal? You're right. And so they're getting more sophisticated, which is forcing sales to say, shoot, I got to bring in our CSM, so, which is awesome, right? Where before we were pushing ourselves into that cycle. Now it's like our customers are driving that behavior. Yeah, you know, in this, you know, I've been in tech for a long time, and, and, and you, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this phrase, you know, of, you know, the customer says, I just want one throat to choke, and salespeople are always the ones that jump to the front of the line and say, that should be me, I own that customer, any need you have should be coming to me. But what you just described is the reality of what's happening in, in the industry, is customers are saying, look, I realize you're the sales executive, you're not the one throat to choke, this is not the best model for me, I need a success person to come in here and like you say, do success plans with me, understand my environment, work on adoption. And they're, you know, they're, they're doing that segmentation for us, which is good because I think when sales tries to basically just play that, that one throat to choke role, it's not ideal for the customer and it's not ideal for the, for the company relationship in general. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that for sure. So, so um, there's, there's a fourth lever here in terms of scaling uh, cost effectively is, you know, we believe companies have to aggressively invest in, in automating and in digitizing CS motions, you know, wherever it makes sense. You were already talking about that, some of the capabilities. And so I'm just curious if you kind of looked in your crystal ball, where do you think there are some of the best opportunities to apply technology to, to scale CS? What are you seeing there? Yeah, I, I, I think right now, especially because of what we are using and actually how our product works within here, within Ring Central. We're leveraging AI quite a bit, and okay. you know, as our product begins to roll out their own AI functionality for contact center, for you know our video product. Uh, I know you're making, you know, we're using this particular product today, but from a Ring Central perspective, we use it as a way to also, you know, help with with you know creating a better experience for our customers. So, I do think it's I think number one there's a process perspective to make sure that we harvest best practices that are happening in the field. Right. So when a CSM learns something, they said, hey, I did this great presentation. And by the way, our customer loved it. Or I showed him this usage report that shows them, you know, manager to individual contributor and how they're using and how they're adopting it. So how do we as an organization foster to make sure that we can harvest that knowledge to not just train and enable the rest of our CSMs? But then how do we actually bring it in house and say, what does that experience look like for there's smaller, you know, Carlos's burger joint that may be using our product where they can't afford having a CSM. I may, I can't afford having a CSM, but how do I give them that same experience? Because if it's just a link to a dashboard, it's just a, like some additional knowledge or, hey, here's how these customers are using it. You know, they're in your same industry or your certain vertical. Here's how they're using it. It's just providing that empowerment. So I think number one is it's got to be a culture of, harvesting and farming kind of a growth mindset of like learning from each other it's never going to be perfect we're learning every day and i can tell you even though i've been doing this for a long time i feel like i'm still learning every day somebody in the company or a customer teaches me something different and so 
having that mindset and bring it in house and then turning that into let's provide this. Can we do this in a technology basis? Right. As simple as can we do a uh, QBR deck, some slides rather than it taking, you know, 17 slides, it takes a CSM, you know, week and a half to put it together. Can we create a two, three, three pager QBR slide that literally gets automated immediately? Right? Something as simple as that. It's like it, it's going to reduce, you know, 90 percent of the time that a CSM, you know, in the lower level is helping our customers. Can we then turn it around and give it to our customers? Can they have access to that real time? And so we're leveraging technology to give customers more empowerment to interact with us better, right? Um, I don't want to just hold information. I want to give it to them as much as we can. And then the AI side of it is how do we actually learn from each other through either, you know, artificial intelligence um, um, or just in general, like what can we do from a product and technology perspective to continue to speed up the process to get our customers enabled or trained um, or even interact with other customers so they can actually share best practices. Um, so I think technology is probably key uh, to driving adoption and usage on our customers, especially in the scalable uh, area where we don't have humans sitting around uh, responding. You know, here at, at Ring Central, we have 400,000 customers. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I can build a coverage model with humans that way. Right. Yeah. No <laughs> can't. Way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you, you know, when I think about talking to support executives versus CS executives, and, and if you look at technical support, you know, there's been tons of investment in tools to, you know, for self-service, et cetera. You ha same reason, you got to be able to scale support cost-effectively. When I turn to CS and I listen to those folks and I think about technology and CS, you know, I do see some different opportunities. I think one was CS because you have these ongoing processes you want to run with the customer to help with adoption, et cetera, and the, the ability to apply technology to automate some of those touch points, right, proactively with the customer. So the CSM, CSM isn't doing that all manually. I think there's a lot of potential there. I think what you put on the table, automating some of the insights and deliverables for customers. So it could be, you know, ado adoption readouts. It could be insights on, you know, where you have, a, whatever it is, but, you know, looking every time you, you're creating a value add deliverable for the customer, can we automate some of that, make it easier for the CSM so they can climb up the value ladder and just focus on delivering those insights? And then the third run around AI, and you put that on the table, I'm curious, you know, what are some of the AI use cases that you that you see, you know, most successful for, for the CS motions? Yeah, I think on the, especially in the AI part of it is I think when we're dealing with customers who may be experiencing, you know, macroeconomic conditions, so there may be, uh, you know, some specific business conditions, you know, reduction of force, Merging acquisitions, things like that, and so especially when you're dealing with the smaller customers, you know, they may not have a CSM, or they may not have specifically renewals. Maybe sophisticated, more senior people. So you may have sort of a, um, you know, kind of an offshore team or sort of an outsourced scalable team, and 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 so leveraging AI to be able to give almost like a decision tree response to customers, right? So you know, here's the first thing we can do to help you with. If this doesn't work, can we do this, and can we do that? So it helps in a couple of ways. I think number one, it helps with onboarding our own people, right? So if we hire more folks that are going to be helping with these kinds of customers based on the volume that we're getting, how do we onboard them much quickly rather than going through a six-month training uh, program to get them up to speed? I think second, it actually allows us to then monitor that even if I'm giving you two or three options, if those are not working, what would work for you? And then how do we take that back and continue to you know, evolve the model? And so a lot of it has been around 
um, I would call it for lack of a better word, like the negotiation aspect of it, right? The gifts and gets that we get with our customers around renewals, potentially retention areas are probably the biggest ones that we have using right now, AI, to teach and help our customers. Um, our sales team is leveraging that as well. And so we're looking at AI as a great way to enable our team to get up to speed quickly, but also listen to our customers of what's going to resonate for them, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes people think it's like, well, Thomas, you know, you want to reduce the account. Somebody if I give you 20% off. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not value add, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's about listening to you and listening to our customers. Like what is that? What's the pain that they're facing? Because it may not be the 20% discount. It could be, you know, an incremental value. It could be, you know what? My team is struggling with training. Can, you know, I just, we just don't understand how to do it. I'm going to have somebody come in and do some training for you. So it's like just learning from what the objections are from our customers and continue to evolve that ultimately to drive value. So, so if I mean, if I just sort of paraphrase what you were just, just saying there, is it's using AI to be able to effectively listen to your customers at scale. That's one of the one of the use cases that you're able to use that software and really get good input from customers, understand you know what's working, what's not, where their pain is, but do that at scale by leveraging you know software. So yeah, yeah. cool, yeah. very cool use case. Well, I have to ask, um, you know, when we think about CS at scale, we think about how do you really understand efficacy of you know of the CS organization. So I'm curious. And again, you've been doing this this for a while, so you've, you're learning, I'm sure, what works and what doesn't work in terms of KPIs. What KPIs uh, do you track that you think are most important to, to keep an eye on? Yeah, I think, um, and I have done this in a few times, is, is always finding the balance of you need to have objective metrics where you measure performance, right? It's because that's just normal, right? It's like you, you don't ever want to be in a touchy-feely kind of role where uh, it's all MBO-based and it becomes a popularity contest, right? We do, we still run a business, right? So I still need to figure out how do we monitor and measure that. So mm -hmm. we do have hard metrics that we're working to put it together where there's net retention percentage, net retention revenue, there's CSAT scores, there's there's lots of different metrics that we can drive um, as it relates to metrics, but that cannot be 100% of your KPIs. It cannot because you don't want to do the right thing to maximize your comp plan around the financials, but not do the right thing for our customers. And so we do have a mix and we're moving to more of a, what we call it kind of a hybrid mix where we have some that are hard metrics and some of their more like customer outcome based metrics oh, interesting. to give us that balance. Right. Cause I do think that the CSM organization is the company or the, the role that typically everything gets thrown into, right? They, they dump everything on the CSM, right? It's like, we have billing issues. We have invoicing issues. We have support ticket issues. We have somebody oversold me something. Like you're constantly dealing with all these things. And so having them focus on just balancing internal metrics and a comp plan sometimes doesn't drive that right mindset and the right empathy for customers. And so having a balance between the hard metrics and some MBOs, the focus around adoption, focus around customer outcomes, usage, you know, maybe uh, NPS scores, uh, um, you know, if we're promoting a new product, adoption and usage of that, maybe people that are being trained and certified that we've seen that as a great attribute of adoption and usage is how many people they've gotten trained and certified on their product. Mm -hmm. Maybe that becomes a metric, right? Like how do we drive, you know, a minimum of, you know, 30 people trained in the first six months of your new customer? How do we actually drive that? So, those are the kinds of things is trying to find KPIs around the metrics and the numbers and the growth of that customer, but also look at some of those attributes that actually we've seen drive success for our customers. 
So, and to play that back in terms of this bucket of custom customer outcome metrics, again, things like customer health, satisfaction, adoption ratings, identifying metrics like that that are really speaking to is the customer getting value? Are they adopting? Are they getting the outcomes they care about? What are those metrics? And you balance those against some of the more hard traditional metrics, whether that's a renewal rate, whether that's you know, uh, you know how fast you're you're responding to to tickets or whatever. All, all that that's more on the hard hard side of it. Yeah, got it. Perfect. All right. Well, hey, I have uh, one more question for you as I as I look at the clock here. I'll uh, I'll sneak one more in, and that is around uh, culture. So you know we're, we're talking about scaling this thing, doing it cost effectively. How how does culture and what type of culture are you looking for to drive success here at scale? Yeah, I would say it's, it's probably when I look back at doing this for quite a while, I would say the the probably the most important thing um, is to have a culture that actually believes in your mission. I think that's always probably the most important thing because I think. You know, you can come up with great strategies, beautiful slides. You can be a great speaker in front of everybody and rally everybody behind a cause. Um, but if we don't bring them and you don't inspire them and they all feel like they belong to a bigger cause than just uh, I need to hit some you know financial numbers, then no matter what strategy you have, is never going to put in play. It's never going to go anywhere. And so I've always been a big believer to driving the concept of customer empathy. I think the biggest thing that we have is we are, we have really smart people in technology, much smarter than I am. And so they understand technology really well. They understand the issues, but in many cases, the number one feedback we get from customers is that you just don't listen. It's like, you have great stuff and great products and you people are like brilliant. They're smarter than I am, but you just don't listen. You don't listen to my actual problem. You don't listen to like what I'm facing. And somebody once told me that, you know, listening is actually understanding your customers. It's not waiting for your turn to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's like a really great way to think about how we are doing things. And so the one thing that I think driving empathy and making sure that we are listening to our customers and understanding their challenges, I think that's number one. And then learning to trust and respect each other internally, because we are the most matrix function you can imagine in any software company. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We don't own product. We don't own support. We don't own engineering. We don't own account management. We don't own sales. We don't own anything. But guess what? We're the ones that have to, if a customer gets into a pickle, we're the ones that have to come in and triage internally. And so having that great collaboration, trust, respect for each other, knowing that ultimately you're helping your customers. That's I think I've always found that no matter how crazy of a strategy I go build, that I think if the team believes in our, the reason why we exist, then the strategy is much easier to go and execute against it. So that's why I think culture becomes really critical and important. Yeah, you know, when, when I think about CS cultures, if we if we had two spe- ends of the spectrum, on one end of the spectrum, it was a culture that's a, you know, very financial driven. Here, we got to hit our, our metrics, make sure we get all, you know, our incentive compensation, et cetera. That's job number one, right? The companies, that's what the company wants for me. So that would be one end. The other end of the spectrum could be one that it, you know, is completely about customer empathy, the customer being, you know, successful, um, caring for, you know, you, you know, you're, you really are thinking customer first, and so we have these two extremes, and you can tell, you know, which way CS organizations lean when you have CSMs that are always trying to like slip something in there for the customer, go that extra mile, right? Uh, you know, we're not going to, you know, don't worry about that, and and that's kind of where you want them to lean. You want them to lean toward the 
customer empathy side, you know, not, you know, hey, it's all about the financials. And I, and I think the way you, you help keep this in balance, though, because you can over rotate, I've seen it, where you have CSMs that are just, you know, they're, they're just doing too much, right? You know, I mean, they're, they've over rotated there, and it's literally not financially viable, right? You just can't, right? So you, you want to keep them anchor, anchored. And I think that the winning tactic there is you are reminding your CSMs that, you know, what your company does for a living, whatever your products or services are for any company, you say, look, the customer, there's real value there. Help your customer by getting them to use the right services, use the right products, make sure that because they're they're going to be way more successful, right? If they're if they're leveraging, you know, everything that they should, you know, and, and, and have bought the right products, et cetera, as opposed to you trying to do things you know, and, and, and not have the conversations about, you know, getting them to, you know, buy what they should, should buy. And I think if you can keep them anchored there, you get, you get, you know, you get the right balance. But again, if you think about those two ends of the spectrum, you want CSMs that are definitely leaning more toward the customer, you know, is first mentality for sure. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the, if you start from your internal metrics with the hopes that you deliver on customer value, your chances are very slim. I think if you start from delivering customer value and then the financial results is the output of you doing the right thing for the customers, you probably have a better chance of doing that. So I think, you know, obviously we're not naive. We are a financial company. We got to deliver on results, but it's, it's truly about making sure that the CSMs are focusing on delivering value to our customers. That translates into great results, yeah. right? The renewals, the retention of our customers, the CSAT that they will give us is because then we care. That all translates into good stuff. Um, I think when people look at it from the different angle and you're only looking at like your normal internal scorecards, that's all I care about, you know, it, it, uh, it, it typically doesn't result into a, a great experience. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree with that sentiment. Well, Carlos, I really appreciate the, the time that you, uh, you gave us here uh, today and you have a lot of uh, a wealth of wisdom to share on this topic uh, because you've seen it at a lot of different companies. So again, thanks so much. And I always close these podcasts with a question of the day. So the question for today, in today's economic environment, can you afford a financial art project or is it time to pull some of these levers to cost-effectively scale customer success? Cheers.